There was a Hollywood movie made a number of years ago that, that posed this question, what would you do if you could be God for a week? How many of you saw this movie? Show of hands. A number of you have. And so you know the story. It's about this, this TV reporter in Buffalo, New York. His name is Bruce Nolan, a.k.a. Jim Carrey. And his life is going, well, it's going okay. He has a relatively normal life with his girlfriend, Grace. But, but Bruce isn't satisfied with his career or his life. And one day, he has a horrible, horrible day. Everything goes wrong. And who does Bruce blame? He, he blames God. He was played by Morgan Freeman. Now, God basically says, well, listen, if you think you can do a better job, I will let you have my powers. But here's the catch. You can only have my powers for 24 hours, and they will only work in the area of Buffalo, New York. So Bruce takes God up on this offer, and then he does this. He responds by focusing all these powers on himself. And like a kid in a candy store, he begins making one disastrous decision after another. For instance, he pulls the moon closer to the earth just so that he can have a more romantic evening with grace, not realizing that he's causing a tidal wave in Japan. And this, um, he responds to the prayers that are emailed to him. He responds yes to every prayer request. And he creates all these lottery winners as well as a lot of mayhem and riots. And as the movie goes on, Bruce reaches a breaking point. And ultimately, he decides, I do not want to be God anymore. With a parallel theme, a man named Ernest Kurtz wrote a book that has become the definitive history of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. The name of the book is Not God. And this is what he writes. Fundamental to the recovery process is that healing and sanity begin with a single realization that I am not God. I am not in control of my universe. I often cannot even control myself. I often violate my own values. I want to do one thing and then I do something else. I have weaknesses and limitations. I need help from a power far greater than myself. I am not God. Now, of course, this illusion of being God is not limited to people that struggle with an addiction to alcohol. It affects the entire human race and it began a long time ago. The original temptation in the Garden of Eden that faced Adam and Eve was this, you will be like God. And when they bought into that lie, that was the beginning of sin and spiritual confusion that has continued to this very day. Now listen, this is so important. Understanding who we are in relationship to God deeply impacts our emotional and our spiritual well-being. And so this morning, I want to do this. I want us to consider this man in the Bible who has to learn a very important lesson, that he is not God. Today, we're continuing our study of Daniel. If you've got your Bible, we're going to begin in chapter 2. And I'd like to do a brief review just to bring everybody up to speed. So let's begin with chapter 2, verse 1. And it says this, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar has dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's been on the job for about a year. Assyria, which was the number one enemy of Babylon, collapsed about five years earlier. So right now, at this point in time, Nebuchadnezzar is the unchallenged ruler of the entire known world. And he's got it all. He's got youth, he's got intelligence, he's got fame and wealth. He's got all of these resources, and of course, 
his advisors do a pretty good job of bolstering his ego. If you've got your Bible open, look at verse 4. They say, oh, king, live forever. Hey, king, regular people die, but you're, you're a god. And so you're going to live forever. Right now, Nebuchadnezzar is at the center of his universe. He believes that everything and everyone revolves around him. And according to the world standard, he should be the most secure guy on the face of the earth. But the king can't sleep. This man who thinks he's a god has insomnia. Now sometimes we fall into this trap. We think, you know, if I just had plenty of money, if I had really good health, if I was at the top of my profession, if I was really successful, then I would be totally secure. That wasn't what Nebuchadnezzar experienced. It was just the opposite. He is more than he ever imagined, but he's troubled and worried about the future. And here's the truth. People who live with the I am God syndrome, people who think that they're in charge of their lives are just one bad dream away from insecurity and anxiety and fear. So this is what I want to do. This morning I want to point out the difference it makes if you understand that God's in charge of your life and not you. So here's the first principle. If God's in charge and I'm not, then I don't have to promote myself. You don't have to promote yourself. This is a, a verse from the book of Proverbs written by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. He said this, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Last week we saw that Daniel's in a really serious predicament. The king has come and, and said, listen, I had a dream. And unless somebody can tell me my dream and interpret it, then you, Daniel, and your friends and all my advisors, you're all going to be executed. So Daniel comes up with a really good idea. He decides to ask the king for more time, and then during that time, he's going to ask God to tell him the dream and its interpretation. Well, during the night, God answers Daniel, and we see what Daniel does in verse 24. It says, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon, take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Now notice this. Daniel goes to Arioch. Daniel seeks him out, but look at the spin that this guy puts on the situation. Look at verse 25. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. It was an easy king, but I found this guy. I mean, who else would have looked through all these foreigners and found this guy who can interpret the dream? Hey, king, you can count on me. I'm your go-to guy. Now, what is Arioch looking for? Starts with the letter C. Credit. He's looking for the credit. Now, I want you to notice, in contrast, the response of Daniel. The king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But, but, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. See, Daniel refuses to take the credit. Essentially, he's saying, look, king, I'm not that smart, but I knew somebody who is. And he is the God of heaven who reveals mysteries. And notice this. Look at verse 36, if you have your Bible open. It says, this is a dream, and now we will interpret it for the king. Daniel gives credit not only to God, he gives credit to his friends because they all prayed together and God revealed the dream to them. Now here's what's so important for us. What would it look like to go through life and not be concerned about who gets the credit? I mean, really. 
at your job, where you go to school, even in church. You see, so often we're so concerned that we get the credit. But listen, if God's in charge, we don't have to promote ourselves. God can promote us if he desires to do that. But we don't have to worry about who gets the credit because God knows and God sees. And that's all that really matters. So if God's in charge, we don't have to promote ourselves. Here's another implication. If God is in charge, then I will devote myself to helping people meet him. I will devote myself to helping people meet God. If you're a Christian this morning, that means that there was a time in your life when you decided to follow Jesus. There was a time in your life when you understood that I was in serious trouble and God reached down and he rescued me from a helpless and hopeless situation. And if you're a believer, that means that when you look at other people who are far from God, people who don't know God, that you want them to be rescued as well. You want them to meet the God that you are coming to know and love and trust. Now when Daniel is taken away from his country, from everything familiar, when he goes to Babylon, God is giving him the opportunity of a lifetime to help other people meet God. And friends, that's true for every single one of us. Wherever we find ourselves, in the neighborhoods where we live, where we work, where we go to school, at the gym, wherever it is, God is giving us the opportunity of a lifetime to help other people meet him. Now here's something that I think is is really interesting. The first chapter of Daniel is in Hebrew. That's the language of virtually all of the Old Testament. However, beginning at verse 4 and all the way through verse 7, we see a different language. It's called Aramaic. Now imagine this. You go and buy a book. Maybe you order it online or get it at a bookstore. And you read chapter 1 and it's in English. And you get to chapter 2 and it's French or German. Would that be kind of weird? Yeah. You'd probably be going, what in the world is going on? And if you wrote a book like that, it probably wouldn't be a bestseller. wouldn't make the New York Times bestseller list. So... Why did the author of Daniel do this? Well, I think this is, this is the key. Aramaic was the most common language in the Middle East at the time of Daniel, just as English is the most common language in the Western world. And I think what the author is doing is so clear. He's saying this God that Daniel worships is not just the God of Israel. He's the God of all the nations of the world. And think about this. Something that that Daniel wants the king to understand because King Nebuchadnezzar, he conquers all these other nations and people are just, you know, coming into this, this giant place called Babylon. And his perspective is this. Well, you guys have your gods and, and I have my God. But Daniel's, Daniel's perspective is this. The God that I worship, the God that I serve is not one God among many. He is the God. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is a God not only of of Israel, he's the God of Babylon. And church, we need to remember this about our God. He's the God of Washington, D.C. Despite all evidence to the contrary, he is the God of Washington, D.C. He is the God of New York City. He is the God of Las Vegas. He is the God of Lake Worth and Boynton Beach and every community and every city and every nation in this world. And that's exactly the point of this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. Now, Daniel's going to give us a summary of the dream. And this is really fascinating. This is in verse 31 of chapter 2. He says this, You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance, The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thigh of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. 
Now, can you imagine the reaction of Nebuchadnezzar? Because this is exactly what he dreamed, and Daniel is, is telling them about his dream. And then he goes on, and he says, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. I was thinking about that song by Kansas a number of years ago, Dust in the Wind. All they were is dust in the wind. But here's the contrast. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. And then Daniel goes on. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. And I want you to notice the power that Nebuchadnezzar has. Look at this. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he's placed mankind. What a statement. In your hands he's placed mankind. And the beasts of the field and the birds of the air... Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You, king, are the head of gold. So Daniel's giving King Nebuchadnezzar the good news. Hey, you know, God has put you in a position of power and authority. But then Daniel gets really direct. King Nebuchadnezzar, other kingdoms will follow yours. And they're going to be smashed to pieces by another kingdom that will last forever. Look at verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven, the God of heaven, will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure for how long? For how long, church? Forever. And talk about high drama. I mean, here's Nebuchadnezzar, the unchallenged ruler of the entire world. He could have Daniel killed with a wave of his hand, and yet Daniel looks him in the eye and says, in effect, king... God has put you in a position of power. But a kingdom is coming. You need to get right with God. And notice, this is so important for us to understand how the kingdom will come. And I want to show you in just a minute what this has to do with our lives and with our church. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. What Daniel is describing in this verse is the hinge of human history. This is the pivot on which everything turns, and Daniel would never see the fulfillment of this dream in his lifetime. People would be born, they would live, they would die for generations and never see the fulfillment of the dream, and people would wonder, is this dream of an everlasting kingdom ever going to come true? And then one day, Seemingly out of nowhere, this itinerant preacher appears from this obscure village and he has this profound and powerful message, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Do you see why those words made people tremble? This is what the world was waiting for. Jesus Christ was the rock not cut by human hands. He was, as the Bible says, the chief cornerstone of the church. He's the one who's establishing an eternal kingdom that will never end. And this is how that makes all the difference to us. We have a role in seeing that dream fulfilled. Right here, right now. In October of 2017, 
Because here's the deal. Every time a man, a woman, a teenager, a child becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, what's happening to the kingdom of God? It's growing. This kingdom that Jesus is the king of is going to one day fill the entire earth and we get to be a part of that. And church, that's why it's so important that we always be focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. This good news about Jesus because as Paul says in the book of Romans, this gospel is the power of God for the complete rescue of everyone who believes. And that's why week after week we talk about the bad news and the good news because this is where we live and this is where history is headed and that bad news, as you know, is that we're all in the same leaky boat. We're all sinners. We've gone our own way and not God's way, that our sins separated us from God because he's holy and we're not. And because God's just, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. The just punishment is what? To die, to be separated from, from God for how long? Forever. And so we're in a helpless and hopeless situation, but God, in his great love and in his mercy, what does he do? He, he mounts the greatest rescue mission of all time. God the Father sends God the Son, Jesus Christ to earth. Jesus lives a perfect life. And then he goes to a cross. And he allows himself to die so that God can do this, so that God can put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. The wrath of God that we deserve is poured out on Christ. And he dies. But that's not the end of the story, thank God. God raises his son to life and Jesus says, hey, look, come follow me. I'll give you a new life but you've got to admit that you're a sinner. You've got to believe that I am who I claim to be, that I died for you. Now you come and you live for me. And church, here's why that's so important, because life is too short to live by the wrong priorities. As I talk to other pastors here in the, in the U.S., as I talk to other pastors internationally, one of the things, one of the greatest challenges to the advancement of the kingdom of God is that so many people are so consumed with their own comfort and their own security. So many people are seeking that first. And Jesus said, seek first what? You know the verse, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this stuff that you're pursuing, all this stuff you're worried about, your heavenly father is gonna provide it for you. And church, I know this, that God wants his kingdom to grow. God wants Boynton Beach Community Church to do what? To grow. Now, how does that happen? Is it just the responsibility of the pastor or the staff? No, we're in this thing together. And church, please hear my heart on this. That's why week after week, I talk about the gospel. Listen, the gospel is the center out of which I live. I need to hear the gospel. I need to preach the gospel to myself because the gospel tells me that I have a new record, a new identity, and a new potential. The gospel tells me that my past is settled, that my future is secure, and that God will give me the strength to face the challenges in my life today. I want you to know that. But here's the deal. There are so many other people in our lives who need to know that. And so I want to encourage you, be someone who is able to share the good news of Jesus. And listen, I mean, I really get this. You know, so often we're afraid to engage in spiritual conversations because religion is private. But here's the deal. Do you have a story? Raise your hand if you have a story. Everybody has a story. And if you're a Christian, you have quite a God story. And you can share your God story. You don't have to answer all the objections and be a theologian to do that. You just have to know Jesus and tell people what he's done in your life. 
And you can invite people to come to this place and hear the good news. The good news that gives hope, the hope that only Jesus can provide. And I want to encourage you to do that. And as I look at this story, it's really amazing because here's Daniel, and he's probably just a really young man. He's probably a teenager when he's first deported to Babylon. And yet he is so bold. He wants the king to meet God. Now, you know, has Nebuchadnezzar already come to a point of surrendering his life to God? Well, no. We're going to see that in chapter 3 because next week we're going to see that he is just committed to worshiping idols. He's going to violently impose his will on other people. But here's the deal. Daniel never gives up on King Nebuchadnezzar. He tells him about the God that he knows. And listen, there may be somebody in your life right now and that person is so far from God and they don't want to hear anything to do about the, the Bible or religion or Christianity. Do not give up. You keep praying. You keep talking. You know why? Because God's in charge. He's in charge of your life, and he's in charge of their life. And maybe this morning, that person that's, that's really struggling, that person who feels far from God, maybe that's you. Don't give up on yourself. Because you're not in charge of your life. God is. And I will tell you this, so often, when you see God drawing people to himself, it is not a straight line. It's one step forward and three steps back. It looks like the stock market sometimes if you chart your spiritual graph. There's peaks and there's valleys. But God is at work. Daniel believed that. And we need to believe that too. Well, let me give you one final thing that I want you to see this morning. If God's in charge and I'm not, finally, I can trust God with the outcome of my life. And man, I am so glad this is true. I can trust God with the outcome of my life. Here's the outcome of the story. This is in verse 48. It says, then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Now, this is really remarkable. At this point, you know, after God comes through for Daniel and reveals a dream, you would expect Daniel to really praise God, and he does, and to say, God, thank you so much, man. Way to go, God. But the praise that God is receiving from Daniel doesn't come at the end of the story. It comes in a very unusual place. Look at verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then, right then, Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. And it goes on and he says, He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. Now, I want to show you something in this passage that I think is absolutely remarkable and profound. Remember when Daniel offers this praise. The king intends to kill him. He is under the threat of death, and so are his friends and all of the advisors. Now, when Daniel offers this praise, he has received a response from God but what has changed in his circumstances? Nothing at all. Absolutely nothing. He's still under the sentence of death. He doesn't even know if he'll be able to take this information that God has given him to the king. He doesn't know if the king will believe him or receive it or just have him executed. There are all these things that Daniel could be worried about, but instead, what does he do? He praises God. And notice this. This is just amazing. What happens? As we read the story, we come to verse 20. 
And at that point, we don't know how things are gonna work out for Daniel, but we're invited to do this, to praise God with Daniel, listen carefully, in the middle of the story. Not at the end, in the middle. Now, why would the writer do that? And it is so clear. Because that's true for you and me. We are invited by God to praise him in the middle of our stories, even when we don't know how it's gonna work out. And church, do you realize that's what we do every Sunday? We come to this place and we worship God and we praise God and we are aware. Are we at the end of our story? No, we're somewhere in the middle of our story. We don't know how things are gonna turn out. And it could be, it could be for you or for me that we turn the page and things are gonna be great. Things are gonna be wonderful. Things are gonna be exciting. It's gonna be like this part of the story for Daniel. But that may not be the case. It could be that we turn the page and there's suffering and there's pain and there's difficulty that God has appointed for us to experience. And here's what I want you to know. This is so important. We do not know how the story is going to turn out, but we know the one who is writing the script. Do you believe that? Because if you do, it makes all the difference in the world. And church, I just want to encourage you to think about that. As we gather on Sundays, as we worship God, as we pour out our praise to God, let's do that in the middle of our stories because God is able. That's what the story of Daniel tells us. The, the theme of this whole book is the sovereignty of God, that there is a God who holds times and seasons in his hand. There is a God who holds your life and my life in his hand. There is a God who rules and overrules both men and nations. There is a God in charge of your life and my life. There is a God who cares about you and loves you like nobody else. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word that, that encourages us, Lord, your word that gives hope. Your word that that opens our eyes to see the truth. And God, I pray this, help us to praise you in the middle of our stories. God, as I look out this morning, I, I know that there are all kinds of things happening in the families here in our church. And you know each one of them, God. You know the struggles and the challenges and the uncertainty and the fear and the worries. God, would you please do this? Would you please draw our heart close to your heart? God, even as we sing this last song, would you speak to us? And remind us that whatever happens when we belong to Jesus Christ, you will never, ever let us go. And Father, I pray this as well for the person who maybe for the first time has understood the bad news and the good news. That on this particular day, October 27th, 2nd, 2017, they would just decide, God, to make the most important choice of their life to follow Jesus. And say this just to you in their own words, God, I need you. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe Jesus died for me. That he came back to life, and I want to follow him. And God, thank you for always hearing that prayer. And Lord, would you do this? Would you make this a church that reflects your heart to our community and to the world? Would you make this church a place where there really is hope and healing, where there is always truth and grace? a place where people can come and hear a message that changes their life. And God, would you do this? I'm praying this right now. God, please fill these seats up with people who need to hear about the hope that only Jesus Christ can bring. 
people who need to hear this, that when they give their life to you, you will never let them go.